Hey, this is Dave Ryder from New Spring Church here in beautiful Perth, Western Australia. Really praying that this message is going to help you. If you'd like some more information about our story, just head to newspring.org.au. Good. How are you guys doing tonight? Are you happy to be in church? Nice to have the crew from Thornley. Oh, that was we. Come on. I live in Thornley. You've got to be feisty in Thornley. Great to have the crew from Thornley. That's a bit better. I'm, not, I'm serious. I actually live in Thornley. <laughs> I've got the t-shirt and everything. I survived Thornley. <laughs> I know, man. I go to Spencer Village. and No, not Spencer Village. Like Thornley Square. And, yeah. Anyway, let me get on with it. Um, we are um, in a series... Um, which is in the book of Ephesians. Have you been enjoying it so far? That was so underwhelming. Has anyone been enjoying it so far? All right. <laughs> well, today's message, we're going to continue on where we left off last week. And um, if you weren't here, um, you'll be able to catch up. It's all right. Um, but we're going to be in the second half of Ephesians chapter 2. So how about you grab your Bibles, um, if your Bible is on your phone or if you've got a tablet. It's okay, crack open your app, and we're going to be in the second half of Ephesians chapter 2. And um, the title of today's message, and it's a, it's a word picture, it's, it's something which I want us to actually have in our mind, and hopefully when we leave here today, it'll be something that's embedded in our heart that will actually help us live out this good news that we all profess and we've all been singing about. The title of today's message is called Breaking Apart Broken Walls. Breaking Apart Broken Walls. And if you've been with us over the last couple of weeks, you will um, remember that we are in this incredible letter, which is we call the letter to the Ephesians. The most original manuscripts that we have do not actually have to God's holy people in Ephesus. It seems that the city of Ephesus was so, it fell so in love with this letter that they just added like Ephesians. So that's what we got. And this is a letter to the Ephesians. And this is Paul's manifesto, his manifesto. We were talking about that this is a moment when Paul is in house arrest. He's in Rome. He's waiting an appointment with Caesar. And you know what? He didn't anticipate going to Rome this way, but he knows and he understands because he's waiting an appointment with Caesar, he is in chains and it's going to take a couple of years. It's going to take a little while for him to have an audience with Caesar. And he also knows that chances are when he has an audience with Caesar, things aren't going to go so well. If you ever want to look at the human heart, the human condition, just go on a Google and study or just do a bit of a search for Nero. And you will actually find this crazy, crazy guy called Nero. Anyone heard of Nero? He used to do some crazy things, right? We've got kids here, so I can't tell you. But he used to do some nasty, nasty things. So Paul knows that this is not going to go too well. So what he does while he's under house arrest, he actually writes a few letters that we have in our canon, in our New Testament canon, and he writes to some churches. He also writes to an individual called Philemon, and, and we have that in our New Testament canon of Scripture. But what he also does, he takes the luxury and he takes the opportunity to write this generic letter. It's a letter, it's this word that, that, that he, he believes is going to go out to so many different places. And what he does when he pens this letter, he's actually penning down what he deems to be most valuable and what he deems to be most significant. And he can do that because he does not have the constraints of actually addressing a particular church and how messed up they are or how tripped up they are. Have you ever read some of the letters to some of the churches? They're, they're, they're messed up. Like, have you ever read 1 Corinthians? Would you like to be? Like, I don't get it, right? So how some people say, you know what, we need to go back to the early church. Are you kidding me? 
Really? You know what that guy was like doing with his mother-in-law and all that? You really want to go back to that? Do you guys read your Bible? <laughs> There's some crazy, crazy things in there. Christians, it seems, it seems to me, reading the, like the, 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 just the, 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 the New Testament and all that, it seems to me that Christians have always been a bit messed up. Anyone messed up in here? Thornley Crew are all okay. New Spring, you're messed up. <laughs> I thought as much, actually. <laughs> but, but he doesn't have the constraints of, of actually having to write to a particular church or, or, or to address theological issues or Christological issues or social issues. He doesn't have the restraints of writing to Philemon and saying to Philemon, your slaves escaped, but you need to actually receive your slave again, but not as a slave, but as a brother this time. He doesn't have those constraints. So what he does, he writes this lofty visionary letter. It's a letter that, that is so elevated. It's a letter that he is trying to portray in the best way that he can who God is. He's trying to let us know what God has done, what God is doing, what God will continue to do. And he also wants to let us know what our place is in God's story. Did you know that you have a place in God's story? That the Christian life is not to be sitting down on our hands and actually saying, you know what, I've got a ticket, I get to go to heaven. That is not the Christian story. The Christian story is that God loves us so much and he has his plan in play that he wants to involve us in it. So he invites us to participate in his story as he is creating this whole world brand new. That's good. I don't know. I, I'm gonna, when I listen to this again, I'm going to be sitting in my car. I'm going to be saying, that's good preaching, Dave. Just so you know. <laughs> so this is what is happening. And, and in this letter, he's actually presenting the story of God for us to look at and for us to marvel at. And it should really be this wonder as we're kind of journeying through this letter that we call Ephesians. It's a letter that tells and then retells and then retells again what God's incredible vision is that he has had before the, the foundation of the world. It's a letter that unpacks and unpacks again and then it continues to unpack this incredible vision so that you and I know, not only know the vision, but we know that we have a place in the vision. That God has created us for good works that we're going to start walking in it. And as we start walking in it, we are actually invited and we are participating with God in fulfilling his plan and what he wants to do. It's an extraordinary thing. God's glorious vision is something that calls forth every single human heart. I don't know if you realize, but right now all over the globe, and we get to see it because of social media and, and all that, we get to see it. But right now, there is a cry that is being heard from every single human heart right now. There is something in the heart that is calling forth, and it is just bleeding in front of everyone. And God's vision actually answers and satisfies the cry of every human heart. Because God's glorious vision, as we've been articulating and like retelling and retelling over and over again, God's glorious vision is that of family. That we are part of God's family. J.I. Packer answered the question, what is a Christian, in one of the most simplest, most profound ways that we've ever read. And his book, which is called Knowing God, that they will be read for generation to generation to generation to generation. And he said that the way that you answer that, Christ, that the question, what is a Christian, can be so many different ways. But the most profound, most simplest way is this. A Christian is anyone who has God as father. Do you have God as father today? Really? A couple of you? Anyone else have God as Father? You bet you do, and that means absolutely everything. I'm preaching a lot better than you guys are responding, by the way. <laughs> Last week, we started unpacking Ephesians chapter 
2, verse 1 to 10, and we landed on one of the most significant verses in the book of Ephesians, but also one of the most significant and most important uh, verses for every single follower of Jesus Christ to really, really, really grapple with and actually figure out how am I going to outwork this? And what we landed on last week was Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, which says, For we are God's masterpiece. Anyone feel like a masterpiece? Anyone, any like married spouses here? Just turn to like your spouse and just let them know right now, I'm a masterpiece, just so you know. I don't hear many voices. I'm a, I'm a masterpiece. I'm God's symphony. I'm his poem. <clears throat> For we're God's masterpiece. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. This last week we were actually seeing that this chapter actually starts literally with Paul absolutely brutally and just with absolute bluntness letting you and I know that we were once dead. Isn't that encouraging? Have you ever seen something dead? Have you ever smelt something dead? Have you ever like sort of like going into your house and you go, man, something not good around here. You say, man, like I usually look to our dog, Oscar, but when Oscar's saying, no, it's not me, <laughs> Oscar's going, I, like, I smell it too. And you go around and like, you discover there's like a dead rat or something. Anyone ever done that? They don't look good, do they? They don't smell good, do they? Well, Paul's saying that was you. Welcome to church, everyone. <laughs> Paul says, you were once dead not that long ago because we as Christians have very, very short memories, don't we? And he's letting us know with brutal honesty, he's saying, you were once dead, but now because of what Christ has done, because of what Jesus has done, we were once the walking dead, and now we are now walking in the good works that he has prepared for us to walk in as God's new creation. In other words, in order for us to live in this new life that God has given us, we need to walk in the new works that he has for us. And the moment we stop walking in those good works, we stop living in the new life. Have you ever met someone, Christian gets offended with church? Anyone like been offended at church? Seriously? Everyone's hand should be up. I mean, I've been offended at church. Now, anyone else? Church is family. Who doesn't get offended with family? Families are screwed up. Didn't you know that? You get hurt in church. And then sometimes you meet someone and they get hurt in church and they sit down and they refuse to walk in the good works that God has prepared for them to walk in. And the problem is, the moment you stop walking in those good works, you stop living in the new life. All right? So that verse actually lets us know that because of what God has done for us, the only appropriate response is to live with and for God in a brand new way. That's what we covered last week. The thing is, you can't stop there because that's only the first half of Ephesians chapter 2. That's just one half of the good news. Only one bit. There's actually more of the good news which we are to know. It's only part of it. And if we actually stop there and we don't actually read on, if we don't just walk out the rest of, of chapter 2, we make a mistake as followers of Jesus Christ into thinking that just because we live in a world that has iPhones and iPads and iMacs, that all of a sudden we have an iFaith. And all of a sudden we think that my faith is all about me and I can live my Christian life and I don't even need to go to church. I can just look at it on like... Uh, it's a bit weird because people are probably watching this on live stream. I can just uh, watch. If you're watching live stream, you still need to rock up. Anyway, but, but you know what I mean? You think that you can do that and you just need to understand and recognize that God does not allow that. 
If you're going to be part of his family, you can't have this little secluded eye kind of faith. And Paul's going to actually let us know right now, you can't have that. You can't have it. For the remainder of this, um, this chapter, as we're going to read on, we are told of the other part of the good news, that part that goes so far beyond myself, goes beyond me, and it's actually extraordinary. And in order to do that, we're going to be talking about our role and our responsibility as followers of Jesus Christ to break apart broken walls, okay? Our job, our role, participating, being invited into God's story is that now, because we are sons and daughters of the Most High God, we are those who break apart broken walls. And I'm going to read verses 11 to 22. And again, I'm going to encourage you not to read along. Because this letter in our Bible in particular was written to be heard. When our Bible was written, most of the known world, they were illiterate. They could not read. So because of that, these letters, these books were actually written to be heard. And you could pick up a lot of stuff just by hearing it. I was thinking about this. I encourage people to get their app, like version, and just go to like a book, like say for Ephesians, and just press play. And you can listen to it in 20 minutes. And I'm wondering why people like are reluctant to do that. And I'm just wondering, do people feel like they're cheating because they're listening to the Bible instead of reading the Bible? Because if you feel like you're cheating, that's a little bit funny because this was actually written to be heard, not read. So if you feel like, oh, you know what, I'm just going to put my headphones in, I'm going to listen to a book of the Bible, you understand this, that's a good thing. Don't, don't feel like you're, you're not cheating. Not, do you think some people th- think that? That's what I've been thinking about anyway. Let me read, but otherwise I'll run out of time because I, 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 I like to talk. Verse 11. Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. But now you've been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you've been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people. When, his own, when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with his commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of, the de- of his death on the cross. And our hostility towards each other was put to death. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are this house being built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his Spirit. 
Did you pick up some different things as you heard it as opposed to when you read it? Now, I'm not saying don't read it, like read, but take the opportunity to listen and to hear God's word as well because it'll actually activate different things in your mind and in your heart and you'll actually um, hear things which are different. We're talking about walls today. There are a lot of famous walls that have been built in history, aren't there? There's a lot of big walls that are soon, well, supposed to be built even now. (laughs) Still waiting. One of the most famous walls was the Berlin Wall. The Berlin Wall. In 1967, East Germany began the Berlin Wall as as a wire fence. It was dividing the city into east and west. And what it did, it actually separated people. It separated people from their jobs. It separated people from their families. It separated people from their communities. And over time, this wire fence was further built to become a 12-foot concrete barrier of separation. And it was a fearsome division for decades. And it meant hostility to the point it brought such hostility and such fear that there was, there was actually the real possibility of nuclear annihilation. It was an emblem of oppression and a, and a, and a symbol of fear. And this wall did exactly and precisely what walls are supposed to do. It separated people. It caused division. The wall did exactly what a wall was supposed to do. It wasn't the wall's fault at all. This is what walls do. Now, fast forward to 1989, and as an international movement was coming together to actually end a division in Europe, the government of East Germany actually allowed its citizens to pass freely through this vast wall, which actually brought great celebration not just to Germany, but also throughout the entire world. We've got a couple of pictures of what happened after this first person actually went through the walls. After this, we kind of see all these kind of pictures that kind of were circulated around the world. And over the next years, people from all over the world, they made a pilgrimage to Berlin with a chisel in hand and they headed straight for the wall. They headed straight to the wall because they wanted to contribute to the demolition of the Berlin Wall. They wanted to participate in the story of the deconstruction of a real dividing wall of hostility. They wanted to be involved in the breaking apart of an already broken wall. Because you need to understand, you need to recognize that the moment that that wall broke was not when that guy had the hammer or that young girl had the axe or even when that little boy had a chisel. That was not the moment that that wall broke. The moment the wall broke was the very first time that someone passed through the wall. And after that wall broke, there was this pilgrimage of people from all over the world going to actually participate in breaking apart a wall that had already been broken. Do you pick up where we're going today? The wall was already broken. It broke in 1989. What the world wanted to see now and what people were participating in was the story of seeing a broken wall breaking apart. Now, these images and this story and this moment in history is not that so long ago. I was actually alive. (laughs) Some of you weren't, but I was alive. But that actually shows us a contemporary historical event which pictures and points us towards what Paul is actually talking to us about when it comes to the second half of Ephesians Chapter 2, that there is a part of the good news, that there is a part of God's story that goes way beyond me. 
Way beyond me. It goes way beyond an idea or a notion that I could possibly have a a secluded little I kind of faith. And it stretches to those on the other side of walls that have now been broken. But just like that Berlin Wall, it was broken, but there was a large part of it that was still standing. So what our role is to actually reach over these walls of hostility, walls of division that are still standing, but to recognize that even though they're still standing, these walls have been broken. This is where we get to play our part in God's story. The outworking of the gospel is that you and I right now, like maybe not right now, I don't know, I don't know, maybe, maybe you may hate someone's guts right now, but <laughs> there might be some walls. But from this point, our role and our responsibility is to go out into the world and identify the walls of hostility, the walls of separation, the walls of division within those who bear God's image, imago Dei, right? And to participate in breaking apart those walls that have already been broken. Let's see how Paul breaks this down for us. I'm going to read verses um, 11 to 12. Don't forget that you Gentiles, now Gentiles, anyone who's not a Jew, okay? So like, like for me, I'm, a, like a, I'm an Anglo-Indian Gentile. I'm an Anglo-Indian who loves curry. I love like, like, like a good lamb rogan, Josh. I love a, a great biryani and like, Eva, you like with me? Yeah, I love cricket. I, I am a Gentile who loves the West Coast Eagles, don't tell me what happened. <laughs> but like, I'm one of those Gentiles. So that's simply what a Gentile is. So don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews. Anyone ever been called that, by the way? <laughs> anyway, who were proud of their cir- circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel. And you did not know the covenantal promises that God made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. And just like at the beginning of Ephesians, as we went through last week, Paul is actually starting up with some real, real brutal honesty for you and I to be really aware of it. And here's the deal. As followers of Jesus Christ, the more aware we are of this brutal honesty, the more appropriately we are going to behave and be ministers of this ministry of reconciliation in this world. The problem with Christians is that we have very, very short memories. Very, very short memories. It does not even matter if you are 120. It's pretty good, actually. Let's just say 100. It doesn't matter if you're 180. Right? It was not that long ago, Paul is going to remind you of the state in which we were. Because in light of eternity, it wasn't that long ago at all. I don't know who's making that noise. but So just like in Ephesians um, 2 verse 1 where he says, You were once dead. Right here, once again, Paul is following the same structure. And he's letting us know a brutal, honest, uh, like just reality for you and I who profess Jesus as king of where we once were. It was not that long ago that we were dead, but not only that, we were also outsiders, we were excluded, we were without God and we were without hope. You see, what Paul is actually saying is that the Jews, they had God's law and that kept them distinctly separated from other people, namely from Gentiles. And what the law did, and it wasn't supposed to do this because you need to understand that there is actually a first Great Commission. 
It wasn't given in Matthew, it was given to Abraham. The very first great commission, God actually said, Abraham, now it's time for you to go. And through you, all the nations are going to be blessed. And that was always the role of Israel, that all the nations were going to be blessed. And God gave them the law. And guess what they did with the law? They used the law to separate themselves. And it actually brought division and hostility between them and Gentiles. Now, as I articulate what actually happened, let's see if we can translate and see if maybe us Christians over the last couple of years, maybe we've fallen into this same vulnerability as well. Just keep that in mind. So what, the, what used to happen is that the Jews would look down on Gentiles, right? And the reason why they looked down on Gentiles was because of their failure to live according to God's standards. They seemed to forget that they themselves were not living according to God's standards. Have you ever met someone that looked down on you because you don't live up to God's standards? Anyone here ever looked down on some? <laughs> Just quit it. <laughs> the Gentiles despised the Jews because they had these practices that separated themselves from um, these social, uh, social places. So they had these things and they kept them away. And you know what? It's pretty hard to be the light of the world and it's pretty hard to be the salt of the earth when you are completely separated and hidden from the places you're supposed to light up. That is the point that Jesus is making when he says, you are the light of the world, but you're hidden under this bushel. You're the salt of the earth. That wasn't a nice little quaint, little great little sermon, Jesus. No, he was actually having a real go at Israel and said, you are supposed to be the light of the world. You're not living up to what you're supposed to be doing. Step up. That's what he's saying. In fact, the only reason why Jesus came was a failure for Israel to be Israel. So Jesus represented the true Israel and he did what Israel was supposed to do. Right? That's how it happened. But it is pretty hard. I think it's funny that we as Christians, we seem to run away from dark places. When in reality, if we see a dark place, that is the first place we should be running to. Because how in the world is a dark place going to be lit up unless there is some light? You are the light of the world. I'm the light of the world. We run away from things. We should be running towards them. Anyone with me? We're going to run towards them anyway, New Spring. Have you ever felt the brunt of being left out of something? Yeah? <laughs> you could probably see I'm not that athletic, so I was left out of a couple of things, except for cricket, because I was a fast bowler. They, lo- they, I, I, they love picking me for cricket. <laughs> We've all felt the brunt of being left out of something, haven't we? Excluded from something, being an outsider from something. I think children process this a lot better than adults, a lot better. Because when it comes to kids, they tell you, they cry, they get angry, they storm off. You know, one way or the other, that child is upset. They process a lot better than us. Last year, Jackson had a birthday and it was, we didn't have coronavirus. So what we um, decided and what Jackson wanted to do was to invite the boys of his classroom to his birthday. So he invited all the boys of his classroom to McDonald's. And um, let me tell you, to put that many, like, seven-year-old boys in this playground in McDonald's, I've never smelt something as nasty as that. <laughs> it was loud. It was so loud. It was so, so loud. And, like, yes, there were some interesting smells. Um, 
So we send out the, um, the, the, uh, the invitations and all that. And I come home from work one day and Andrea says to me, we got a response from one of the mums. And um, I was not expecting this response. And what happened is that this mum actually um, was so grateful and just thanked us for the invitation and actually said, like, this is the very first birthday invitation that my son has been invited to, right? And I've been in the classroom, so I know why, right? In fact, on the day, I really knew why. I mean, this kid was all the way up in the play. I think I spent most of my time trying to coax this kid down. And I didn't want to go in the playground equipment because I get stuck because I'm like fat. I'm not skinny, right? And the last thing you want in McDonald's is for like the fire, like fire guy, fireys to come and actually rescue this chubby Anglo-Indian guy from this like. I've got to tell you that when Andrew told me about this response from this mum, I was like crying. It's like, because you don't. I know what it's like. I don't want my children to miss out on things. I don't want them to be excluded from things. I don't want that. You really feel it once you become a parent. You really do feel it. And that pain and those feelings do not change just because we grow up. We just don't process them in a healthy way. (laughs) Because we push those feelings down, you know. In anger, we go on, we disqualify people from our lives. We disengage with people. And sometimes we, we really want to, like sometimes you just want to teach people a lesson. Does anyone ever like really want to teach someone a lesson? Right? Who's honest enough to say, you know what? I want to let you know, I belong here. You belong there. And you're just going to stay right over there. I'm going to make sure you know that's where you, that's where you belong. Anyone else like that? Oh, good. I'm not alone. <laughs> There is hostility and there is division everywhere. There are so many issues around the world right now, and every single issue, the issue is actually the issue of the heart, the human heart. That is the heart of every single issue. In fact, I could probably just go around in less than 30 seconds, we could probably come up with over 100 things that bring hostility and division and separation among those who bear the image of God among humanity. You know? Religion, I mean, don't even go there, right? Like, just like, stay away from religion. What about politics? Whoa. Like, even now, like, the, the government's response to COVID-19, anyone want to, like, sort of, like, talk about that? I'm sure, like, even in your row, people will have absolutely different opinions with it. Racism, gender fluidity, ageism, re, um, freedom rights, sexism, the disparity between the rich and the poor. Not overseas, the disparity between the rich and the poor in Armadale. Do you know it is more difficult for a teenager to get on a pathway to university around these regions than it is in other regions, right? I just think that every person should have the option. When we're talking about disparity, sometimes we just look so, so far away and there is conversations and there's discussions that we need to know about right here in our own backyard. But there's a whole lot of stuff, isn't there? We all have tribes. We all have opinions. We all live in a tiny little bubble. We all live in a tiny little bubble. I feel like I need to get a pin and just pop our little bubbles. Because all of us, all of us, myself included, we all live in these tiny little bubbles which are so separated from the reality of so many people in our world. There are literally walls everywhere. Absolutely everywhere. And it may surprise you. Oh, this may surprise you. Did you know that there's even walls within the church? 
of Jesus? Does that surprise anyone? Oh my goodness. <laughs> Theology, denominations, liturgies. <laughs> my goodness, why? <laughs> the music's too loud. I don't like that. Why aren't you singing this? Why have we got lights? There are so many points of division, aren't there? <laughs> I've heard them all. In fact, I'm still hearing them all. <laughs> Maybe that's my path in life. I will continually hear about these things. It's incredible that hostility and division runs rampant in the churches. And followers of God who profess Jesus as king obviously have not grappled with the good news that points to the fact that walls of hostility between those of us who bear the image of God, that they have been demolished and they have been removed in the, resur- in the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul, after articulating this hostility and this division, verse 13, he says, But now... Aren't you glad he always puts a butt? I'm so glad that there are so many buts. It's almost like it's exactly the same when he actually tells us about our desperate, hopeless place at the beginning of Ephesians chapter 2. But in, in, in Ephesians 2 verse 4, he says, but God, but God, God intervenes. Without God intervening, we are all absolutely stuffed. We're in a lot of trouble. But here again, Paul says, but now, verse 13, but now you have been united with Christ Jesus once you were far away from God, but now you've been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. And what Paul is wanting us to know is to remember that it wasn't that long ago that you were dead. It wasn't that long ago that I was dead, but we were also outsiders. We were excluded. We were without God. We were without hope. But now. So that was a reality not that long ago, but now we have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. So verse 13 is actually a summary of this entire passage. If there was one verse that you were to take away, you would think about and meditate and actually engraft into your life would be verse 13. Because verse 13 is letting us know the whole summary of what he is talking about, that we were so far, he has brought us near to him through the blood of Christ. And we need to ask the question, well, how did you bring us near? Verse 14 says this, For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one. Everyone say one. He brought, he united Jews and Gentiles into one people. When in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. You see, when the first person passed through the Berlin Wall in 1989, that was the moment that the wall broke. When Jesus died on the cross, that was the moment that the wall of hostility broke. And this is what happened. When it broke, this is what happened. That Christ, he brought peace to us and he united Jews and Gentiles into one people. So this is what's happening. Remember, the Jews don't like the Gentiles. The Gentiles don't like the Jews. The Jews looking down at the Gentiles. The Gentiles despising the Jews. And this is what Paul is saying. Because of the cross... Because of the cross, it's not that you become more Jewish or that you become more Gentile-ish. What has happened is because of the cross, we have become something brand new. We are a new people. That's why we have peace. Because we're new people. We're a new humanity. We're the church of Jesus Christ. That's what's happened. So pay attention again to how Paul explains what the gospel is. What the good news is. Have you ever asked someone what the gospel is, what the good news is, and like, like hmm? Hmm? Well, chapter 2, he's letting us know what it is. 
Pay attention to how he explains what the good news is. Verse 16, together as one people, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross. And our hostility towards each other was put to death. He brought this good news of peace. What good news of peace? That our hostility towards each other was put to death. That's the good news of peace. That, that's the gospel of peace. If you haven't got an eye faith kind of idea. Does that make sense? I mean, it's like, I'm not even, I'm not even, unpa- that's exactly what he said. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far from him. And this peace, this very same peace, the same good news of peace to Jews who were near to him. So those who were far from him and those who were near to him get exactly the same good news of peace. This is the gospel. And because of that, verse 18, now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us, And at this moment, in this time, we've become so familiar with the character of our Heavenly Father, haven't we? We've been talking about the character of our Heavenly Father. This is the Heavenly Father where Jesus gives a glimpse of the character of our Heavenly Father when he gives the parable of the prodigal son. The story of this young son who goes out and squanders everything. And he thinks to himself, I need to go back home, but I know I can't go home as a son. I'll go home as a slave. So he comes up with this script. So he thinks about this script walks back, father sees him, runs out, hugs him. The son starts the script and the father doesn't even let him finish the script. Why? The father's kind of saying, you know what? I don't care why you went. I'm just so glad you're home. The same father goes to the older son who's like, he's just grumpy and disgruntled. And so why aren't you coming in to party? Why aren't you coming in to celebrate? Have you met someone? And the father says to his oldest son, you don't understand. You haven't got it. You're my son. And everything I have is yours. The same heavenly father that Paul talks about in Ephesians 1 who gives us every spiritual blessing. The same father who smiles with pleasure. He gave him great pleasure to give us an inheritance. This father. This father. This father. Verse 18 says that the good news is that because of Jesus, we are now one new people, true humanity, the new community that is able to come to the Father because we are adopted into his family as his children. As his children. I've learned so much about God after I became a dad. One of the things that still astounds me is I'll be sitting at home or at mum's place and like without notice, Jackson just comes over and climbs up and just sits on my lap. He doesn't even flinch. He thinks it's completely appropriate to come and just sit in his dad's lap. Kayla goes a bit further because like she'll come sit in my lap and then she gets my arm and like, makes me hold her. How do you come to the Father? That's been a challenge for me. 
Like I had this dialogue with God. And I have my kids do that with me. And he says, what about you? Isn't that beautiful? It says, now all of us can come. Not some of us. All of us. All of us. I would never have dared to do that with my father. Never. But my kids think it's just normal. And then God's saying, yeah, I want you to do that. Verse 19 goes on. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with God's holy people. Get this. You are members of God's family. What is the grand vision? It's family. Over and over again, you read through the New Testament. It is all about family. What is a Christian? A Christian is anyone who calls God Father. That's what a Christian is. We belong to God and we belong to each other. And in a world where there are so many walls of hostility that separate, that agitate and divide humanity, what if you and I knew that those walls have actually been broken and now we have the opportunity to participate in God's grand vision of breaking apart broken walls? The irony of being part of the church does not leave us. This irony has been around for so long. In fact, in 1968, Martin Luther King actually famously said this, pointing to Sunday. He said this, We must face the sad fact that 11 o'clock on Sunday morning, when we stand to sing in Christ, there is no east or west, we stand in the most segregated hour of America. Look around. There should be so many different colored faces around this place. There should be every single demographic here. The walls of hostility that have offended have been broken. I mentioned this this morning. So for New Spring family, you just need to know this. I believe that what we have is the blessing of time. God has given us time to prepare ourselves. God has given us time to understand what the good news of Jesus Christ is. Because soon and very soon... I'm just going to talk to you, New Spring. Now, I can, I, I can talk to Cullamunda and Thorn. Like, obviously, I can talk to Cullamunda. I can even talk to Thornley. I sit on the state board. So I can, I can to some degree that. But soon and very soon, we're going to have every single type of person enter into our families, into our communities, into our churches. Are we going to take the time now to be prepared for when that day comes? Every nationality... Every social demographic, the rich, the poor, the middle class. A humanity that is desperately asking the question right now, what does it mean to be human? A humanity that is wanting to be truly human. What happens when we start seeing, and we will start seeing this, the LGBTQ plus community start walking in and encountering the Lord. How are you going to deal with that? 
How are you going to love? Walls of hostility. The walls have been broken. Are we going to get our chisels out? Our axes out in a spiritual sense? And start breaking apart walls that have already been broken and reaching across walls and barriers so that those who are desperately seeking and searching and asking the question, what does it mean to be truly human? Well, you can actually find that in Christ. Are we going to be that kind of people? Or are we going to be like every other generational Christian? Because there is a disconnect here. There is a disconnect from what the Bible declares the gospel, the good news to be, and the way that we've lived it out. That's going to be a big challenge. It's going to be a huge challenge. Listen to this. Oh, actually, I better stop talking. I'm going too long. There is just so much, there is so much division and hostility in our world. But if we have in our mind that those walls have already been broken. 1989, that Berlin Wall was broken. Over 2,000 years ago, those walls were broken. And if we have in our mind, those walls are broken. And now I can participate in breaking apart those walls that have already been broken. We could literally change the world with the Holy Spirit. And there are still so, so many more brothers and sisters of ours to join this family. Paul goes on from verse 20. He says, Together we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. Understand verse 21 says, we are carefully joined together in him, becoming. Other translations say, or other renderings say, this temple is rising. The picture which Paul is saying here is that God is building a dwelling for himself. He is building this temple for himself, but it is not complete yet. You and I are those stones that are part of that temple. And he's actually letting us know that that temple is still being built. That temple is still rising. So there are still many, 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 many more who are going to join us as part of God's family. And understand this, the metaphor of temple. We've talked a lot about temples this year as New Spring Church and also as Kalamunda. We've talked a lot about temples. But understand this metaphor of temple is so, so significant because this is the absolute reality. God is to be encountered not in special places, but he will be encountered in special people. That's the significance. This is a weird, rackety old shed that we've tried to pretty, pretty up. And people may walk through the doors and encounter the Lord. But it's not because of the building. It's because of the people. God is not experienced in special places or special buildings. He is experienced when his people show up. So chapter 2 lets us know that not only 
Are we a new creation, walking in the good works that he has prepared for us to do? And the moment we stop walking those good works is the moment we stop walking in this new life. But we are also God's new community. New creation and new community are part and parcel of salvation that we have by grace. And now as God's new creation and as part of God's new community, our task is to join our God. He's already broken the walls of hostility. And now we are to join him in breaking them apart. So our job right now, as we walk out of this place tonight, in a spiritual sense, church, you're going to have to get your chisels out. You're going to have to get your axes out. You're going to have to get your hammers out. Because our job right now is to break apart the walls that have already been broken. And that is what Paul is talking about in the second part of Ephesians chapter 2. Did you learn something today? Did God speaking to you? You know why he speaks to you? Because he loves you. He loves you so much. He has such delight in actually coming and working and being with his kids. Let me pray for you as we close up. Thank you, Lord. Father, we do come before you in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, I pray that as our ears are open, as our hearts are soft before you, that you will take us to places and give us opportunities to actually see your gospel worked out. We ask that we would literally see your kingdom break in and break through into this world. That as we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. It would not be quaint words, but it will be reality of what we have seen, what we have felt, what we have touched. Father, I ask that you would give us greater perspective and discernment of the situations and the scenarios that we find ourselves in, but also the circumstances that surround people in our lives. Where there was once hostility, where there's division, where there is separation. I ask that you would give us wisdom and discernment to know that those walls, that they have already been broken because of what was accomplished on the cross. And because those walls are now broken, we can get to work in creative ways, in redemptive ways, God, to break apart these walls so that many would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ so that many would find their adoption papers, so that many would join the family, so that many would discover what it means to be truly human in this world. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.